We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the only piece in Hilchus Nachlos. This is Perek Hey Halacha Ches. And these halachas deal with the laws of inheritance. So Rab Chaim is going to be exploring a particular facet of inheritance, which is that a lender can collect from the estate of the borrower after he dies. But that only includes the money that the borrower owned in his lifetime. After he dies, whatever money is added to the estate after that, once the heirs take over, so that's called ra'ui. So the Gemara seems to say that a lender cannot collect from ra'ui, but the Rambam omits that whole concept. So Rab Chaim is going to explain why the Rambam omits it. And in the midst of this discussion, he's going to articulate an important conceptual framework for understanding kofar, which is the payment that someone pays when their animal kills someone. So Rab Chaim is going to explain that versus ra'oi. And we'll see at the end that the Minchas Chinuch has a totally different framework to understand that. The Rambam writes, Nofal olav abayis val oviv rishin. If a house fell on someone and killed them, as well as their father or someone else that they would have inherited. So the house killed two people. It's not clear who died first. And one of them is the heir of the other. Now this person owed, either they owed a loan that they borrowed money and they had to repay, or they owed the ksuba to their wife once they died. So now there's a debate in this case. The heirs of the father are going to say that the son died first in the falling of the house. So he did not inherit his father. He predeceased the father. And since he did not leave over money or an estate, so now there's no money to pay the debt. So the wife or the lender are going to lose their money because there's nothing to pay them from. Now the wife or the lender counters, No, the father died first. So the son inherited him for a second before he died. So we should be able to collect our debts from the estate of the father, which the son inherited right before he died. So the Rambam rules, the estate of the father is in the status of the heirs because the assumption is that the money belonged to the father. Now there is a possibility that the father died first and then the son died so the son inherited it and the debtors can collect their money from this estate but the status of the money is that it was the father's not the son's so the heirs of the father have the status that it belongs to them and the wife or the lender have to bring a proof that the father died first in order to collect or they lose out. They can't collect. So basically the Rambam rules that the status quo is that the father owned it. So now his heirs inherited it. It did not go to the son. And if the wife or the lender want to collect from this estate, then they have to prove that the father died first. So that is the halacha in the Rambam. And it's clear from the way he formulates this, that if in fact the son died first, so then the debtors cannot collect anything from the estate because it never belonged to him. It was his father's money. And this halacha comes from the Mishnah in Babibasar Kufnun Zayin. 
Now, the reason for this halacha is based on another halacha in the Mishnah in Bechoros Dafnun Beis. It says, V'kulan ein notlin b'shevach v'lo b'roi In the case of a Bechor, the firstborn, who ordinarily gets a double portion of the inheritance, so he gets double the other brothers, or a woman collecting her ksuba, so they do not collect their portions from shevach or ra'oi. Shevach means whatever improvements are added to the estate after the person dies. So let's say when the father died, the estate was worth $400 and there's three brothers. So the Bechor would get 200. Now, if after the father dies, they improve the property or it goes up in value. So now it's worth 500. So the Bechor still only gets 200 and the extra hundred they divide equally. And the same goes for Ksuba that a wife cannot collect from the added value that was added after after the husband died. So that's shavach. And ra'ui means stuff that's going to come, but did not actually belong to the person who died before they died. So the Gemara says, what is that coming to include? It's the case of nirsei davi abba, the grandfather's possessions. So let's say the father had already died, but the grandfather is still alive. So when the grandfather dies, the father is going to inherit him in the grave, and then his sons are going to automatically inherit the portion that the father inherited from his father. So that's Ra'oi. The father in his own lifetime never got that estate, but after he died, it comes to him because it was something that he deserved in his lifetime. He just didn't get it. So in that extra Ra'oi, the stuff that comes after death, the Bechor does not get double. So in the grandfather's estate, the Bechor gets a portion like the rest of the brothers, but not double. So that's the explanation for the Halacha and the Mishnah in Babi Basra that the Rambam recorded why the wife and the lender cannot collect from the estate of the father if he dies after the son dies, who is the one who owed them the money, because once the son dies, so anything after that is ra'oi. He deserved to get it, but he never got it in his own lifetime. So that's why his wife and his lender cannot collect from that money. So the Rambam is recording this halacha, which is based on the idea that a wife and a bechor do not collect their portions from the ra'oi, only from the estate that the person owned when they were still alive. But Rab Chaim asks, the Rambam never mentions that explanation for this halacha. So the Rambam records this halacha, but he omits any mention of the concept of ra'oi. And not only is it an omission of an explanation, but there are also practical halachas which depend on this issue as well. Like the issue of kofar, which means if an animal kills a person, so the animal's owner has to pay the value of that person to the heirs. So the Gemara in Babakama Membez says that since kofar is only paid after someone dies, so it's not possible for them to be owed that money when they're alive. So that is considered ra'oi. When the animal owner pays the kofar to the heirs, it's considered ra'oi. So that has practical ramifications. And the Rambam makes no mention of that. So the Rambam is omitting a key concept and ignoring the practical ramifications of ra'oi. And the Mishnah Lamelech already asks this question. So at first, Rab Chaim points out that at least part of this question can be answered technically, that there is a way to explain some of this halacha without the concept of ra'oi. So the halacha 
halacha in the Rambam was that once the son, who's the borrower, dies, the lender cannot collect from anything that he inherits after his death. So that could be explained even if we say that a lender does collect from Ra'oi, but in that case, he's still not going to be able to collect because the Gemara in Babibas or Kufnun Tes has another reason why the lender can't collect, which is that the new heir, so the father and the grandfather died, and now the estate goes to the grandson. So the grandfather's estate goes to his son who died right before him, and then since he died, it goes now to the grandson. So the Gemara says that the grandson can and say to the lender, I'm representing my grandfather. In other words, he can take the place of the grandfather, not the father. So the grandfather is not a borrower. So that's another way to get out of having to pay this loan. And the Gemara says that this logic has to be the explanation of the Mishnah because if you think that the grandson cannot say, I'm taking the place of my grandfather, not my father. So, even if the son died first, followed by the father, what difference does it make? Because at the end of the day, the grandfather's estate goes through the son to the grandson. So let the lender say to the son, you inherited your father and he owed me money, so I'm collecting my debt. So according to the Gemara, it must be that the grandson, the new heir, can counter, I am coming from my grandfather's rights, not my father's rights. So that's why he doesn't have to pay back. So this is one way to interpret the ruling of the Rambam. Maybe that's the basis for this halacha, not that a lender doesn't collect ra'oi, even if he does collect ra'oi, but he can't collect in this case unless the son outlived the father, because if the son died first, So then the grandson, the new heir, can say, I represent my grandfather and I'm not repaying the loan. So that would explain why the Rambam makes no mention of the broader implications of Ra'ui, because this halacha can be explained in a different way. Now, the Gemara in Bechoros that Rav Chaim quoted earlier does invoke the concept of Ra'ui to explain related halachas. So that's in the case of a Bechor and a Yavam, a firstborn or a brother who's marrying the wife of his dead brother if they had no children. So the Bechor and the Yavam do have rights to the estate of the father either a double portion or to the entire estate of the brother who died whose wife they're marrying. So in those cases, we do need to explain that they don't get ra'ui because the whole concept of mikoach avuah abakasina that I represent the grandfather, the person who originally owned the estate, not the son or the brother who inherited it, that's totally irrelevant in those cases because those people are also heirs. The Bechor and the Yavam are coming as heirs they're not lenders. So the whole concept of I represent the grandfather and not the father is relevant when dealing with the lender, why he can't collect. But it has nothing to do with the Bechor and a Yavam. So the only way to explain why they wouldn't get in the property that comes from the grandfather or from someone else that the father or the brother inherited is only to say that they don't get Ra'oi. So that's why the Gemara in Bechoros does invoke the concept of Ra'oi to explain why Bechor and Yavam don't get the property.
property that comes after the brother or the father died from the grandfather or someone else, because there we do need that. But the Rambam in this halacha, who's talking about a lender collecting, so he does not need to invoke the idea that a lender doesn't collect ra'ui, because he has this other explanation based on the Gemara in Babi Basra, that the grandson, the new heir, could say that I represent the grandfather and not the father. So that explains why the Rambam omits ra'ui, even though the Gemara in Bechoros invokes it. But this doesn't fully answer the question, because there's still the case of Ksubas Isha, the woman collecting her Ksuba, and that is included in the Mishnah in Bechoros, which talks about Bechor and Yavam, and the Gemara explains that the reason she does not collect from this property, if the son, her husband, died first, is because she does not collect Ra'oi. So in order to explain the rule of Ksubas Isha, the Gemara does invoke Ra'oi, whereas the Rambam in this Halacha omits it. So even if we could explain why he omits it in explaining why a lender cannot collect from the property, because there's another explanation, but that does not account for the woman trying to collect her ksuba, where the Gemara explicitly says that it's because she doesn't get Ra'oi, and the Rambam omits that. So we're back to the Mishnah Lamelech's question. So to answer this question, Rab Chaim formulates a conceptual understanding of what the obligation of kofar is. So someone's animal killed someone else. They have to pay the value of that person to the heirs. So what is the nature of that kofar? Says Rab Chaim, that kofar is not even ra'oi. It's even less than that. Ra'oi means something that this person should have gotten in their lifetime, but they ended up dying, so it only came to them after their lifetime. But let's say their father's inheritance is something that in their lifetime they earned, they just never took possession of it until after they died. That's classic Ra'oi. The case of Kofar is even less than that, because the obligation never came about in this person's lifetime. The whole obligation only came about after they died. So in In fact, the entire obligation is only towards the heirs to begin with. It's not a financial obligation that comes from the person who died to the heirs. It's a financial obligation directly to the heirs that was never towards the person who died to begin with. So it's even less than ra'oi. It's really disconnected entirely from the person who died and it belongs completely to the heirs. Now, even though obviously the kofar is something that's inherited, so there's no way to understand that the person who owns the animal is directly obligated to the heirs, totally cutting out the person who died. This is an obligation that comes about to them because they inherited it from the person who died. But even so, says Rab Chaim, there is a way to formulate this, that the right to the kofar is something that they get in an inheritance. But the actual financial obligation only comes about after the person died, so it goes directly to the heirs. In other words, there's a difference between the right to the kofar, which comes about as an inheritance, but the actual financial obligation is not part of the inheritance. It's something that the heirs get going after the person already died, so it's not considered ra'ui at all. So the money itself, which is paid to the heirs to fulfill the obligation of kofar, which they inherited, but that money itself does not have the status of Ra'oi. 
So that means that the reason a lender and a wife collecting her ksuba cannot collect from that kofar money is not because they don't get ra'oi money. It's even more fundamental than that. Since this money never belonged to the person who died, who was the borrower and the husband, so that person owed the payment of the loan and the ksuba, but they never owned the kofar money at all. So even though the heirs inherit it because they're his heirs, but that doesn't make a difference because this money was never connected to him at all. As Rab Chaim just said, that the money itself comes totally directly to the heirs, even though they inherited the right to get that kofar from the person who died, but the actual money is directly to the heirs. It has nothing to do with the person who died. So the lender and the wife cannot collect from that money, even without the halacha that they don't collect from Ra'oi. Even if they would collect from Ra'oi, they still would not be able to collect from that kofar money. So now, says Rab Chaim, building on this, if we plug in the same basic framework to other halachas, so it's going to be true that any payment which comes after the person died and it's given to his heirs, so the lender and the wife cannot collect from that money, even without it being considered ra'oi. Because we can create the same model as kofar for any money that's paid to the estate after the person already died. So let's say someone was owed money and then they die and then it's repaid to their heirs. So it's the same basic model that Rab Chaim just articulated that the heirs inherited the right to that money but the actual money itself never belonged to the person who died. It just belongs directly to the heirs. So it's not even ra'oi. It's even less than ra'oi. So the lender and the wife cannot collect from that money even if they do collect from Ra'oi because that money has nothing to do with the person who died. It never belonged to them so they can't collect from the heirs that money. So the only case where we apply the halacha of Ra'oi, says Rab Chaim, is only one limited case where the person who died inherits something. So that is now the one case where the concept of ro'i is going to be relevant because that's not money that comes to the heirs without going through the person who died. So again, let's say there was a grandfather who died and his son predeceased him and now his estate goes to his grandchildren, the sons of that son who had died. So that money is not coming to them on their own. It's not as if the grandfather is now giving them money directly. The money goes to the son who died, it comes to him in the grave, and then he inherits that money to his heirs, to his sons. So that's where the halacha of ra'oi kicks in. Because really a lender or a wife should be able to collect from that estate whatever they're owed, because since it goes to the son, who was the borrower or the husband first, and then from him it goes to his sons, so why shouldn't they be able to collect? So that's where we invoke the concept of ra'oi, that since it came after the son had already died, they're unable to collect from that estate. But again, there's a second reason why a lender can't collect in that case, because since the grandsons could say, we're using the rights of our grandfather, not our father, 
So again, he's unable to collect. So there's basically two reasons why the lender can't collect, either because it's Ra'oi or because the grandsons could say, we're in the place of our grandfather, not our father. So that's why the Rambam omits the whole concept of Ra'oi, because since there is another way to explain this halacha, which has nothing to do with Ra'oi, that the grandsons, the new heirs, are saying, we represent our grandfather, not our father. And that explains why the lender and the wife can't collect their debts. So there is a way to explain this halacha having nothing to do with Ra'oi. And the concept of Ra'oi has no other bearings in any other halacha. So there are no further ramifications of the halacha of Ra'oi. That was the whole basis of the Mishnah Lamelech's question. That why doesn't the Rambam have to mention Ra'oi in order to explain these other halachas like Kofar? But the answer, says Rab Chaim, is because those halachas are a totally different idea. When it comes to Kofar or any other payment which is repaid from an outside source, not an inheritance, but someone who owed the father money, all of that money is less than Ra'oi. It's considered directly paid to the heirs. So that's why a lender or a wife can't collect from that money. So we don't need the whole concept of Ra'oi. It's totally irrelevant practically. That's why the Rambam omitted it. Now, the Gemara in Bechoros does use it to explain why the Bechor and the Yavam don't get the money that comes to the father or the brother after they die. So it also includes Ksubas Isha, the wife collecting her Ksuba as one of those cases. But that's just a way to explain all those cases together. But we don't necessarily need Ra'oi to explain why the wife can't collect her Ksuba. So the Rambam, who's ruling on a practical level, omits the whole concept of Ra'oi because it has no practical ramifications. Now, in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim brings a proof to his approach from a Gemara in Ksubis Lamed Chesamud Beis, which he's already discussed at length in the first piece in Elchus Ishus and the first piece in Elchus Naira Basula. The Gemara discusses a case where a man raped a Naira, so a girl between 12 and 12 and a half. So the fine that the Torah obligates would have been paid to the father. But in this case, the girl died before he was able to pay the fine. So the question is whether there's a fine. So Abaya holds Baaleho Mesa Putter. If he comes on her and she dies, he's exempt from a fine. Shinamar Venosan Lavia Naira Velolavi Mesa. The Torah says that he has to pay the fine to the father of the girl, but not to the father of the dead girl. So if she died, he's exempt from the fine. So the Gemara points out that this halacha of Abaya was not so clear to Rava. Milsa depshitele la Abaya miboyle the Rava. Rava had a question about this halacha. Deboy Rava yesh beggar bekever o ein beggar bekever. Rava wanted to know, does a girl become a full-fledged adult at 12 and a half in the grave? So if she's already died and now her 12 and a half the birthday comes, does she become an adult woman or not? So if she becomes an adult, then he no longer has to pay the fine to the father because he would have paid it to the girl, but she's not alive. And if she's not an adult, then he has to pay it to the father. So Rava is unclear whether the rapist has to pay the fine in the case where she dies. And then there's a third opinion, Marbar of Ashiboy Lahachi, Misa Osebagrus, Oen 
Bagrus Teiko. Marbarav Ashi asked, does dying immediately make her a full-fledged Bogaris, a full-fledged woman, or not? So according to Marbar Ravashi, she might not even have to wait till her 12 and a half birthday. As soon as she dies, that immediately transforms her into a full-fledged adult and the rapist would not have to pay at that point. So those are the three views in the Gemara. According to Abaya, the rapist does not have to pay regardless. According to Rava, it depends on whether she becomes a Bulgaris at 12 and a half. And according to Marbar Ravashi, it depends whether she becomes a Bulgaris by dying. Now, the Rambam Sula Aleph Tesvav rules Baaleha Omesa. In this case, where he came on her and she died, Hareza Potterminaknas, he's exempt from the fine. So, like Abaya, that there is no fine. So, the Rambam does not mention the question of Rava and Marba Ravashi whether she becomes a Bogares, because according to the Rambam, it's irrelevant. The Rambam rules like Abaya that there is no fine, because the Torah limited the fine only to when the girl is alive. So, it's irrelevant whether whether she becomes a Bogaris or not. So that's why the Rambam omits any mention of the whole issue of Rava and Marba Ravashi, whether she becomes a Bogaris during death or after death, because since he rules like Abaya, there is no fine. But Rab Chaim asks, even though there's no Knas, what about Boshas and Pagam? So there's three things that the rapist has to pay. One is the fine that's set by the Torah, and then there's damages and embarrassment. So the Boshas and Pegam he has to pay even if she already died. Abaya only said that he doesn't have to pay the fine, but he didn't say that he doesn't have to pay anything. He still has to pay the Boshas and Pegam because those are regular damages that a person pays even after the girl died. So why didn't the Rambam rule on whether there's beggar after she dies in terms of the Boshas and Pegam? So the issue that Rava and Marbar of Ashi are raising is still relevant even if the Rambam rules like Abaya that there's no Kenas because that just means there's no fine, but there is Boshas and Pegam. And the question is, who gets it? Does the father automatically get it? Or does it go to the girl because now she's a full-fledged adult woman? So why didn't the Rambam rule on this issue of whether she becomes an adult after she dies in terms of who gets the Boshas and Pegam? Says Rab Chaim, the answer is very simple because it's clear that the father gets the Boshas and Pegam because he's her heir, not because he's the father, because even if she's an adult woman, so now she would get it, but since she died, so he's the heir, so it's clear that regardless, he's going to get it. Either he gets it as the father because she's not an adult, or he gets it as the heir because she is an adult. So again, there is no reason to rule on the issue of whether she becomes an adult after death or not because it doesn't affect the Boshas and Pegam because either way it's going to go to the father. The only question that Rava in the Gemara raised was regarding the fine because a fine is not something that heirs inherit. So if the girl became an adult woman now, then the father is not going to inherit the fine from her because he doesn't inherit the fine. So once she gets the knas, it's not going to transfer over to the father. So that's why Rubber raised the issue. Is she still a young girl and the father has the rights to the knas? It's not an inheritance. He has the direct rights to the knas. So he would still get the knas even though she died. Or does she become a Bulgaris, an adult woman, 
in which case she gets the knas and then her father cannot inherit it. But the whole question is only regarding the knas. When it comes to Boshas and Pagam, so regardless of whether she's an adult woman or not, either way the father is going to get it, either directly or as an heir. So once the Rambam ruled like Abaya, so then Rubba's whole issue fell by the wayside. There was no reason for the Rambam to mention it. Because in terms of the knas, the Rambam holds there is no knas like Abaya. So it's irrelevant whether she becomes a Bogaris. In terms of the Boshas and Pagam, even Rubba would agree that his question is irrelevant because clearly the father does get it. So that's why the Rambam makes no mention of Rava's question. So this is so far a repeat of what Rab Chaim said in his earlier piece in Naira Basula. But now he adds, relevant to this piece, that there's still a question on the Rambam. Because there is still a case where it's relevant to know whether she grows up in the grave or not. And that is if she borrowed money. So there's a lender who wants to collect from her estate. So now we have to know whether the Boshas and Pegam belong to her or they belong to the father. If they belong directly to the father, then the lender cannot collect from the Boshas and Pegam because it doesn't belong to the borrower. But if she grows up in the grave, so now she's a full woman, she gets the Boshas and Pegam. So even though the father inherits her, so practically he's going to get the Boshas and Pegam, but the lender could collect from that money. So we're back to the question, why didn't the Rambam rule on this issue that Rava raised, even though it's not relevant to the fine? And even though it's not relevant to a regular case of Boshas and Pagam, because it clearly goes to the father. But it is relevant to this case where the girl has a lender trying to collect from her estate. Can he collect from the Boshas and Pagam or not? So says Rab Chaim, the answer to this question must be that even if she does get the Boshas and Pegam, so either the death makes her a Bogaris or she becomes a Bogaris in the grave at 12 and a half. So now the Boshas and Pegam belongs to her. But even in that case, the Rambam would hold that the lender cannot collect from this money because it's Ra'ui. So it's not only if the Boshas and Pegam goes directly to the father that the lender can't get access to it. But even if the father is the heir of the Boshas and Pegam, still the lender does not collect it because it's Ra'oi. So that's why, again, the Rambam does not have to rule on this issue of whether she becomes a Bogaris in the grave or not. Because, again, it does not have practical relevance because either way the father gets the Boshas and Pegam and either way the lender is unable to collect from those monies either because it belongs directly to the father because she does not become a Bogaris or even if it belongs to her and then it goes to the father as an heir, the lender still can't collect because it's Ra'oi. But how can this answer the Rambam when the Rambam doesn't hold of Ra'oi? That's the whole point of this piece, that the Rambam never mentions the concept of Ra'oi, that a lender cannot collect from Ra'oi stuff. The Rambam explains that halacha differently. So how can this explain the Rambam why the lender of the girl can't collect from the Boshas and Pegam when he does not hold of Ra'oi? So how could the explanation of this halacha be a concept which is never mentioned in the Rambam? Says Rabbi Chaim, this proves his overall point in this piece, that even if the Rambam doesn't hold of Ra'ui, but he's still
still holds that the lender cannot collect from money which is paid after death because it doesn't belong to the person who died. It belongs directly to the heir. So that's exactly why in the case of the girl who died, the lender cannot collect from the Boshas and Pegam even though the Rambam does not hold to the concept of Ra'ui, but that Boshas and Pegam was only paid to the father. Now even though he got it because he's his daughter's heir, so he inherited it from her, but again as Rab Chaim formulated it, he only inherited the right to collect the money, but he didn't actually inherit the money itself because the money was paid after she died. So once the money was paid, the lender has no rights to collect from that money because it's money that came directly to the father and the lender has no right to collect from it. So this explanation of the Rambam in Hochsnai Rebbe reinforces Rab Chaim's overall point in this piece that money which is paid after death is not considered ra'ui, it belongs directly to the heirs. So that explains why the Rambam in Hochsnai Rebbe doesn't bother ruling on whether the girl becomes a bogeris in the grave or not because it doesn't make a difference. Either way, the lender has no ability to collect from the Boshas and Pegam. And that proves Rab Chaim's overall perspective in this piece that any money which is paid after death follows the same framework as Kofar, that even though the heirs inherited the right to that money from the person who died, but the actual money itself is disconnected from the person who died, it belongs entirely to the heirs, and that's why a lender can't collect from that money. So this proves Rab Chaim's overall approach to explaining the Rambam in this piece. So this is Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Rambam. He holds that the Rambam does not mention the concept of Ra'ui because it has no practical ramifications only in a very limited case where a son predeceases his father and then the grandchildren inherit once the grandfather dies. So that's the only time we might have needed to invoke Ra'ui, that a lender can't collect from that money. But there's another explanation for that because the grandsons could say, we're stepping into the place of our grandfather. So the Rambam does not feel that there's any need for Ra'ui. All of the halachas that he needs to rule on can be explained without a applying that concept to a lender collecting from the estate. So that's Rab Chaim's approach. The key conceptual point that Rab Chaim develops is that there is a difference between Ra'ui versus Kofar. When it comes to Kofar, Rab Chaim believes it's not even Ra'ui. It's a lower level because since the victim has to die before the other person has to pay Kofar, so it's not like it went to the person who died and from there to their heirs. It's as if it went directly to the heirs. And Rab Chaim argues that any payment to the estate of the deceased follows the same model that the money is as if it's going directly to the heirs. So that's not ra'ui. Ra'ui is only when the person had a right to the money itself in their lifetime. So that only applies to things that they inherit, which did belong to them theoretically in their lifetime. But since they died before the person that they inherited, so that's why it came after death, but that's considered ra'ui. So that's Rab Chaim's major conceptual framework in this piece. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, they quote that there are a number of questions on this piece. 
The Chazon Ish in his comments and Rav Shach ask that the Gemara says that the grandsons could say we are coming from our grandfather's place, not our father. Rab Chaim seems to assume that any heirs could make the same claim that we don't represent the first heir, we represent the original person who had the estate. So that's why Rab Chaim says that there's no need for the Rambam to apply the concept of Ra'ui because any heirs could apply that same argument. But the Chazon Ish quotes that the Sefer Atrumos limits this only to grandsons. There's a special pasuk that grandsons could say such a thing, but a regular heir, a guy who's inheriting his uncle or his cousin or someone that's not a grandfather, he has no ability to say that. So now we're back to the question, why doesn't the Rambam invoke the concept of Ra'ui for non-grandson cases? So that's the first issue. Second, Rav Shach takes issue with the whole conceptual idea of Rav Chaim that any payment which comes to the estate after the person died is unrelated to the person who died. Rav Chaim says that the heirs only inherit the right to collect the money, but not the money itself. So Rav Shach asks that inheritance is on money. It's a financial relationship that one person inherits the other person's estate, their money. It's not about inheriting rights to collect money. It's about inheriting actual money. So he questions that whole concept. Now, similarly, they quote that Rab Usher Nissen Levitin, who was an uncle of Rav Shach, his mother's brother. So in his margin of this piece of Rab Chaim, he asked a similar question. So it must have been something in the genes of the family. But Rab Usher Nissen Levitin asked that how can Rab Chaim extrapolate from Kofar to other cases of payment? It makes sense what he's saying when it comes to Kofar because that's a clear case where the money is only obligated after the death. So it makes sense like Rab Chaim is saying that the person who died is disconnected from the money and the heirs get it directly. But how can Rab Chaim apply that without a proof to all other cases of payment which do seem much more connected to the person who died for a simple reason because it was possible for that person to collect those monies in their lifetime. Now, it happens to be that they did not collect it until after they died, but there was a possibility of that money being repaid when they were alive. So how can Rab Chaim just assume so easily that all repayment follows the same framework as Kofar, that it belongs to the heirs directly and it's disconnected from the person who died? So that's a very strong question on Rab Chaim's whole piece, that he seems to go straight from Kofar to other payments without proving that point. Now, they also quote that Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach in a memorial volume also questioned Rab Chaim's analysis because Rab Chaim starts coming up with these far-fetched cases where the Rambam needs to tell us whether a girl becomes a Bogaris after she dies. So Rab Chaim's basic approach, and again, this is a repeat from Hilchus Naira Basula, is that there is no practical ramification to that question, so that's why the Rambam omits it. So Rab Shlomo Zalman proposes a few even more unusual cases where there still would be a practical ramification of that issue. So now this brings back the whole question, why didn't the Rambam rule on that issue? Now, possibly the simple answer to this whole question is that the Rambam only records the halachas that are explicit in the Gemara. So all these unusual cases that Rab Chaim and Rab Shlomo Zalman are coming up with, the Rambam can't rule on every unusual case, otherwise his book would go on forever. So that might be a simple answer, but again, Rab Chaim doesn't go with that approach because he does come up with unusual cases that he thinks the Rambam 
Rambam should have ruled on. So now Rabbi Shlomo Zalman is pointing out that according to Rabbi Chaim's own approach to the Rambam, there are still cases which are unresolved. So those are some of the issues that are raised with Rabbi Chaim's analysis. Now, the Minchas Chinuch has a totally different formulation than Rabbi Chaim about the nature of the obligation of Kofar. So we have a fundamental debate between Rabbi Chaim and the Minchas Chinuch how to define this obligation of Kofar. The Minchas Chinuch in Mitzvah Nun Aleph, Osiot Zion, so he explains that Kofar is not an inheritance at all. So it's a similar idea to Rabbi Chaim, but he formulates it much more radically. According to the Minchas Chinuch, Kofar has nothing to do with the person who died. It's not an inheritance in any way. And the fact that the heirs get it is not because they inherit the Kofar. It's because that's how the Torah set up this payment, that it should be given to the heirs of the person who was killed. But it's not that they inherit the Kofar. It's because since they're heirs, so the Torah said to give them the Kofar. But the person who died has nothing to do with the Kofar because the Kofar only comes about after they were already killed. So it's a payment that belongs directly to the heirs. So even though Rab Chaim was saying something similar to that, but Rab Chaim wanted to balance that on the one hand it is an inheritance and on the other hand it's not connected to the person who died. So that's why he came up with this whole middle ground where the heirs inherit the right to collect the money, but not the money itself. So that whole concept is Rab Chaim trying to understand how we define kofar because it's such an unusual payment. On the one hand, it does not belong to the person who died because it only comes about after death. On the other hand, it belongs to the heirs. So Rab Chaim comes up with this middle category. The Minchas Chinuch, on the other hand, says that it has nothing to do with inheritance. It's not inherited at all. And the reason the heirs get it is because the Torah said that if someone's animal kills someone else, they have to pay money to the heirs. So the payment begins and ends with the heirs. The only reason they get it is because they have the status of the heirs of the person who was killed. So this is a fundamental debate how to understand this payment. Now, Reb Meir Simcha in the Orsameach in Hosnizke Mamun Tesyud Aleph so he agrees with the Minchas Chinuch. He writes that Kofar is not an inheritance at all. It's an obligation towards the heirs. And he compares it to the Goel Hadam. If someone kills someone accidentally, so the heirs of the victim could avenge his death. But it's not that they inherit anything. It's because they have the status of heirs, so they're able to function on his behalf. So it's the same thing here. Because they have the status of heirs, the Torah said to give the Kofar to them. So Dorsamea falls in line with the Minchas Chinuch and his motivation is similar to Rav Shach's view that you can't inherit a right to something. An inheritance has to be actual money and we see that from the Halacha that one does not inherit a fine because a fine is not actual money. It's a right to collect money so that cannot be inherited. So the same thing says Dar Sameach Kofar cannot be inherited because it's only a right to collect something so it must be that the Torah said to pay the Kofar directly to the heirs because they're the stand-in for the person who died. So Dor Sameach agrees with the Minchas Chinuch's formulation of Kofar and with Rav Shach's perspective that inheritance has to be on actual money. Now, Reb Nachem Zemba in the Zera Avram Simen Yodalit Os Gimel and Reb Itzla Panovitcher in the Zecher Yitzchak Chelek Beis Simen Chavtes so they both also formulate it like the Minchas
Minchas Chinuch. So there's a very strong school of thought like the Minchas Chinuch. And again, Rab Chaim has a variation of that. Now, the Chazon Ish in his marginal comments on this piece, so he quotes that the Ramban in Baba Basra, Kuf Chaf calls Kofer Ra'oi. So the Ramban is a third approach. He holds that Kofer is parallel to any money which comes to the estate after the person died, that it's inherited by the heirs, but it has the status of Ra'oi. And that's also the view of the Mishnah Lamelech that Rab Chaim quoted at the beginning of the piece, because the Mishnah Lamelech clearly holds that Kofer is like regular Ra'oi, and Rab Chaim quoted that view. So there are three major views how to define Kofer. There's the view of the Ramban that Kofer is like Ra'oi. There's the view of the Minchas Chinuch on the total other end of the spectrum that Kofer is not inherited at all. The Torah said to pay it directly to the heirs. And then Rab Chaim's in the middle. He says that it is inherited, but only the rights to collect it are inherited, not the actual money itself. So this is the very important conceptual debate over how to understand the obligation of Kofer.